What is up, you guys? Welcome to 10 Pin Life Podcast, episode number four. This week, we are changing up a little bit. I invited my friend, Will Matafee, on. Will is a pro shop manager at the Bowler's Lounge at Sunray Lanes, which is in the Twin Cities area. He is a competitive bowler himself, uh, having won three CBA, or Central Bowler's Alliance, titles here within the last couple of years. He bowled collegiately at Viterbo University, as well as Minnesota State in Mankato. Qualified for the Intercollegiate uh, Singles Championship in 2017, which was in Baton Rouge. And overall, is just a great guy. Uh, Will lives a 10-pin life from a different perspective from some of the other conversations that we had with uh, Maria and uh, Diana, as well as Ashley, excuse me. But honestly, I just wanted to have him on to see kind of what his story was and learned a lot actually about him in that process. And I think you guys will really enjoy it, especially if you are a competitive bowler, uh, but not from a professional perspective because he really has shined a lot of cool insights on kind of what the process is of essentially getting really good. You know, he went from not having bold when he was 16 to now he's 23, uh, 24 and being a very good bowler, very competitive, always in cuts, always in step ladders, that sort of stuff. So I think you guys will really enjoy the conversation. So here we go. 10 pin life podcast, episode number four. Yeah, man. Will Matafee. He's here. He's on the Pet 10 Pin Life podcast. Most people who are going to listen to this are going to know you from the get-go, but then as the internet does its thing, they're going to be like, who's this Who's this Will guy? What's he doing on here, right? He's following mm-hmm. after Diana Zivyalova. Like, clearly, he's a legend. I just haven't <laughs> heard about him yet. <laughs> but That's kind of uh, how I'm, I'm seeing this. I'm like, I'm looking at all the you know, PWA pros, yep. and then it's like, Who's this guy? Dude, you're you're gonna be sandwiched between like two big pros too, because I think my next one's gonna be like uh it's either probably gonna be EJ or Wes Malat, because I'm going down to the players. <laughs> and um it's just gonna be such a uh, it's interesting dichotomy. But um the reason that I wanted to have you on here is um the, the idea is 10 pin life, right? And, and my friend Kayla actually described the name of my channel better to me than I did to myself. And basically um, the, the idea behind 10 pin life is what does it actually take to live a life in bowling? Because mm-hmm. so few people understand what it actually takes because we see it sort of on the professional level, but as it relates to being a professional in the industry, but also at an amateur level, there's almost no information out in the world. And I was yeah. like, well, Will does both of those things. Like you've committed your, you know, at least most of your life, at least your professional life to the sport of bowling. Um, so that was a big reason why I wanted to have you on here to start to kind of contextualize what that means, but also get kind of how you got into it too, um, and sure. kind of where you see it going. So let's start that conversation there. Let's, let's let everyone in the world know who wild bill is. Uh, <laughs> uh, when, when did you start bowling? How did you get to Minnesota state of Mankato and kind of walk me through that journey a little bit? Sure. I mean, stage name is wild bill, obviously. <laughs> um, that kind of happened when I was at lacrosse in college and I'll get to that later, but, yeah. um, it was for the pro shop guy down there and, um, just kind of had, just had a good relationship with them from the get go when I got down there and I started bowling down there before the season even started. So, um, just got a really good connection with him. Um, probably most of you know, if, if you listen from Wisconsin, it's Nick Heilman, mm-hmm. um, Matt McNeil might try to take that, <laughs> but I, I think that Nick, I've heard it from Nick before that I heard it from Matt. But. All right, it's it's official. Nick Heilman gets credit for the Wild Bill stage name. It's 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 on the internet. It counts. That's it counts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I started out um, started out bowling. I didn't really bowl till I was in junior year of high school. So I wasn't. I was a golfer way before I was a bowler. Mm-hmm. Um, so my best friend. Uh, Carter Palm got me into it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and he he pretty much, he worked at the center and he did a lot of, um, like, the birthday parties, or we call it party host. Mm-hmm. So you would get six free games after you do one, and you would get, like, 40, 50 bucks, depending on how much they tip you. So after after a while, I got into it as well. But he pretty much 
he got free bowling, so he just gave me the six free games every single time. So we would go bowling. This was like the summer before junior year. Mm-hmm. And I throw, I threw a straight ball. Mm-hmm. And he let me use his, I think it was an 11-pound white dot. It was blue and white. Nice. And we called it the nickel ball because there was a literal nickel. It was like the perfect size, um, thumb hole size um, to fit a nickel in there. And we plugged it later. So now is the nickel is in there forever. <laughs> that is why it's deemed the nickel ball. Does it so, still exist? Do you still have it or does he still have it? It was it was Carter's, so I don't really know where it is. Gotcha. Now, but um yeah, that's that's probably one of the funniest beginning stories right. that, that you can come up with. Um, <laughs> you know, it was so funny because I remember I was bowling on lane two, specifically bowling lane two. We were bowling Shake Rattle and Glow, which is the cosmic bowling. And I'm throwing it straight down, straight down the, the head pin. Shooting like I remember getting excited about a buck eighty. And I was like, there's no way that I can I can't score higher than you guys because I'm just so accurate. And he was like, No, you're gonna score a lot higher when you have when you have a hook on it, when you have rotation revs mm-hmm. um and angle into the pocket. And like, there's no way. <laughs> and I ch- I challenged him. I think we put like a buck on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he shot like two fifty and I had like a buck twenty, maybe. Like not even close. <laughs> just tore you up. <laughs> just tore me up. And I'm like, okay, well maybe I'll maybe I'll give this a shot. And you know, if you can think back to when you first threw a hook, mm-hmm. if you you know, going from conventional grip to um to fingertip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I spun the hell out of it, mm-hmm. just like, like you would with the top. So just, yep. Oh yeah. I was like, how do you do this? There's no way that I can. There's just I don't I don't get this, which is kind of like what everybody goes through. You know, mm-hmm. when I go through lessons with people and beginning bowlers, or when they first buy a ball, on the pro shop side, they don't really know what it means. I always just tell them just throw like a football underhand, but I didn't understand that concept at the beginning, so I just threw like a top. So my friends just said, no, I'll just put two fingers in. All right. So then I did that, and I was like, oh, well, now that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense now. So I, I used to bowl just like you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it was – so after I kind of wanted to get into into the sport, uh, it was that year where I joined the high school league. So junior year, started the high school league, and I couldn't bowl for – because my, my school, I, I was at a private school, high school, and mm-hmm. we couldn't have a team. Right? Like, we didn't. There's no interest in it. There's no way we can get five people. Mm-hmm. I think it was one other bowler there, and he decided to to be on my team for that year and the next year after that. And because uh, I wanted to bowl with Carter. And we would have been a really good team my senior year if that would have happened. But <laughs> I couldn't ever because of because they offered a, a varsity letter for it. Oh, sure, yeah. So you couldn't. You could release mounds rule. I don't know about the Minnesota State High School League rules, but if you have a letter, you have to go to that school, mm-hmm. which I don't really get. But I couldn't bowl with him, so I bowled from a different team. And he gave me his old pair of shoes, which were like Dexter Rickies. Oh, yes. Ricky 5, yep. 3, something like that. It was like red, white, and black, and it was a favorite pair of shoes. And he gave me his 13-pound Brunswick Wizard. So that's what I threw... Uh, my first year in junior league, mm-hmm. yeah, junior league. So, started that, and then it wasn't until my senior year. So I went from you know, bowling first year, to senior year, and senior year I just said, you know what, why don't I just put my thumb in? Mm-hmm. Maybe that will be the same, same thing. It just a little bit more control because I would throw it right, I would throw it left. It was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So. After I put my thumb in, it was like it was the same thing. It truly was the same thing. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just stick with this because mm-hmm. two handing really didn't come out till later. Yeah, I mean, it didn't probably come out till three years later. Yeah, so. yeah, it, it definitely existed popular. like globally, but like Belmo, because that would have been what 2012 for you, mm-hmm. something like that. 
Um, yeah, he, he, like he had won a couple times at that point, but he was nowhere the legend that he is now. Mm -hmm. And Asku existed and, you know, Jesper is, I think younger than you. So like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, two handing was definitely not a popularized thing. That's for sure. Yeah, not at all. So I didn't really know that. So I always thought the traditional way, because I grew up around the the traditional one handed style. So that's what I wanted. Yeah. And I wanted to have more revs than Carter. So really, I just wanted to copy him, but just do it better. Because mm-hmm. I'm really competitive, mm-hmm. especially with with my golf history, right? And bowling like the or the golfing, the the junior leagues there, the junior tournaments. So I got really, really competitive, and so I wanted to beat him. And senior year, I turned out to be the the most valuable player or whatever with fill percentage. Mm. So I went from not bowling at all one year to being the best in our conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I got offered a scholarship to bowl and golf at Viterbo University in lacrosse. Okay. Um, so first year, obviously it's, I mean, it's only my second year of bowling like ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would think that I would want to golf longer, but I thought that bowling was a little bit more natural to me. Because I had read the, the oil patterns and what the what the transitions are and everything, um, as I saw down the lane, <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, just like a golf, just like a golf green. Yeah. Yep. So it really wasn't anything different from what I what I had before. Um, so after that, I went to you know, I went to Viterbo, golfed. Didn't really want to golf anymore in college because I really was, I had a horrible year because we were doing both at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was pretty much never at my, at my dorm and my roommate actually was on the bowling team with me. So at least I got to see him Yeah, and I really liked him. I still talk to him this day and yeah, so I didn't really get along with the coach. We didn't really see Mm -hmm. eye to eye. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of wanted to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, for next year. So I, I made some good friends down lacrosse. I mean, I still go down the lacrosse open every November, one of the funnest tournaments of the year. So I still keep my connections with them uh, when I go down there for that tournament. And it's been really, really good whenever I go down, I guess just text whoever and be like, Hey, can I just stay at your place? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, for sure. So after Viterbo, I went to Mankato. Um, I couldn't bowl the first year and that team was really, really good. My sophomore year team was really, really good. We could have made it run at making internationals, I think, because mm-hmm. um, I just practiced when I was at when I was in lacrosse. I mean, we practiced. I think Wednesdays and I think it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or no, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and I would go Wednesday, Friday, because mm-hmm. we get like dollar games. Yeah. So I would just go and just practice. So I practice all the time, and that's what I did in high school. I mean, mm-hmm. we just we bowled. 20, 30 games a day. I remember bowling 50 games one day. Oh, my God. And my thumb was not ripped up. Dude, that sounds so awful. <laughs> well, yeah, thinking about it now, I'm like, man, do I have to bowl three games? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and I'll think of 50 or like 56. Like one lane, we bowl 28 games, and the other lane, we bowl 32. Holy crap. Because mm-hmm. wow. it had the counter up, up yeah. at the top left. I mean, that's that's like the way, though, if you're going to go from never having bowled to being all, you know, the best in your conference in the matter of a year, like you kind of have to do something silly like that. And plus, when you're 17, it's like nothing hurts ever. So it's not even a big deal. Dude, that's a pile of games, though. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And I mean, I tell people now it's not it's not about how many reps you do. It's what the quality of the reps that you do. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, when you really break it down, we were just stupid kids that just wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. And then we could because we worked there. Yep. So yep. after that, we we just wanted to we wanted to get more quality practices in. Yeah. So I never, after a while, I just wanted to put the lane on. I just wanted to turn the lane on. I never wanted to do any scoring. Mm-hmm. I hate scoring. Yeah. I practice. I hate it. Because that's not what I'm going for. I just want to get the feel of the swing and feel the uh, motion at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to replicate every single time. Mm-hmm. So, circling back to Mankato, yeah, I registered one year. Um, I really sucked because, again, I really, really wanted to bowl with those guys. They're some of my good friends. I still talk to them today. Some came to my wedding. Some of my best friends. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and my next year, 
my junior year, I feel like that's kind of the turning point in my career, kind of when I started when I really wanted to be a competitive bowler. Mm-hmm. So I bowled like the the Central Bowlers Alliance Tour uh, tournaments, which is our big scratch tournament here mm-hmm. series. It's like a once once a month thing mm-hmm. um, in Minnesota. So we I bowled a couple of those, like the Masters, the CBA Masters, or some CBAs here and there um, when I could. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm an hour and 15 minutes south, so once. There was one time when it came to Mankato, and I thought that was like the most like pressure I've ever had for a tournament. Because mm-hmm. when you're standing in college, it's like a six, seven hour tournament. It's a long time. <laughs> you're just standing there the whole time. Yeah. And it's like 10 minutes in between each shot. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to always keep yourself, um, keep yourself warmed up. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a switch from going from college to you know, team, team stuff to single stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yes, junior year took all the way, you know, we made all these sections. I made all conference in, in my my conference. I mean, we bowled against University of Whitewater, so you're talking Nick Kremel, um, Zach Wolfel, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Greenwood. I mean, yeah, good bowlers. Yeah. Like really, really good bowlers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I got all conference. There was first team and second team. I think that team, I think, both years I got second team. Yeah. But I mean, it's just so hard because they always took it. And then, yeah, we went to sections. And I remember we were bowling at Stardust Lanes, probably one of my favorite bowling centers. It has 86 yeah. lanes. Yeah. Stardust is huge. Actually, the, um, the Queens and the Women's Nationals is there this year too, which is pretty cool. That is it really? Event. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited about that. I love that bowling center. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we went, went there, there were 266, um, individuals that year. And well, when you, I guess I should back up when you, when you redshirt or not, not bowling for the team, as long as you're bowling, as long as you're in college, you can bowl the singles event. Mm-hmm. You just can't bowl the team event. Yeah. Because obviously you don't have a team. Right. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I bowled singles, obviously I was on the team, so. I didn't bowl the, the year prior just because, I, you know, if I wanted to do it for my master's or something, I would, um, I would save the year for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, 266 players, bowl six games, and patterns never announced. So I just I just took out my IQ, my phase two, and I remember shooting buck 80, buck 80 the first two games. Mm. And I'm like, because <laughs> I really wanted this. I as As much competitiveness, especially now, as I have, then I was like, okay, I got to change something. So I'm throwing the face to the first two games. I went buck 84, buck 86. Got to change something. Mm-hmm. Switched an IQ tour that I hit with like a dead 1,000. Mm-hmm. And I shoot like 230, <clears throat> 230, 220, 270, 220. And I go, I finished at like 125 over. Mm-hmm. And they were taking nine people that year. And I was six. <laughs> nice. So I made it, and it was, I mean, between that and ninth was 115 over. So I oh, just wow. barely squeaked it in there. Yeah. Even in the last game, I, I I had 250 going, but I Greek church in the 10th. But I knew it didn't matter. That's and awesome. that was probably one of the most, like, turning points um, of my career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember my dad, my dad um, woke up at 3 a.m., he said, and he goes, you know, I just have a feeling something's going to happen today. So he drove all the way from Minnesota to Stardust, which is like a 10-hour drive. That's a haul. <laughs> he comes games three. And I, I remember when I when I threw that last ball and I saw my name. I'm getting shoals right now. Like, I just can't remember. I just remember that feeling yeah. of him being there. And I just gave him the biggest hug. Yeah. And it was just so emotional for the both of us. Yeah, he's, sure. I mean, I get my competitors from him. I was going to say, yeah, uh, I, if you're okay, I can just refer to him as okay. Jack because that's just who he is. Um, you know, and I don't know your dad near, you know, all that well, but I've seen the way that you guys interact and communicate and uh, it, just the way that you're pretty much just on the same wavelength when you're bowling and he's just, he's just there. He's just that steady presence. And it's so cool um, the way that that kind of works with you guys because, um, not everybody has that for sure, but also be, like I'm assuming that when your dad was younger, he was also like 
hyper competitive. So the fact that he was he a tennis can... player. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was an amateur tennis, tennis player. Um, yeah. He did it in college and then he did, um, he didn't golf for the, for, he, he played tennis for the university of Minnesota. Okay. And he was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, his wrist is shot from it, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but then, in, then, you know, on the competitive side, like the individual side, he did golf. So he did okay. a lot of amateur golf. Yeah. USAM yep. and all this bunch of stuff. So kind of see where the competitiveness gets. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just so fun to, it's just so fun that you guys can just like, if it's from an outsider's perspective, it seems like you can just look at each other and just not say words and just be like, I just get it. I just get how frustrated yep. I am right now. And it's, it's so nice that he's able to come out and hang out during CBAs and stuff too, just because he's, mm-hmm. he's so, and that's, that's one of the other things that we're going to get to is he's so freaking nice too, just like you are that like, it's so weird to have somebody that's so competitive also be so kind because sometimes those two things don't play along with each other. But before I get into that, um, tell me about the intercollegiate singles championship that you actually qualified for then. Yeah, so only 24 made it out of the whole nation. So mm-hmm. to even make it into that tournament is a very prestigious, um, <laughs> very prestigious uh, just event. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, there's thousands upon thousands of collegiate bowlers every year, and there's they take 24 from the entire country. Yeah, it's it's. we're just going to say it ain't easy getting in. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, when you're when you're facing against 266, just out of my conference, because we bowled against Robert Morris, um, uh, William Penn. I mean, mm-hmm. all these great schools. Wichita, I think, went no. Wichita went to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly Robert Morris. You're like, oh, there's six spots gone or yep. nine spots gone because yep. they're all gonna take it. Well, and yeah, Ryan Zagger, Taylor Green. Yeah, yep, yeah. There's a there was guys. a I mean, pot, uh, Kenny Ryan was on those teams too, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll get to him next year. Uh, uh. <laughs> Just wait. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was very stressful. I I practice and practice and practice a bunch. And, you, you again, you don't know what pattern is going to be put out. So when they released it, I think that section was like 46 feet. Oh, wow. And Stardust is pretty high friction. So... Whatever we did, it wasn't really 46 feet. Mm-hmm. It's more like 43, maybe. Mm-hmm. Back then, I really didn't look at mills and feet. I kind of just like, is it a long pattern or short pattern? Um, so then, yeah, I went to went to Nationals, Baton Rouge. Very stressful. I think that was the first time I had canes. Oh, dude, best, dude. Place we, we, I ever. want to just talk about raising canes for the rest of this conversation now. And now I'm hungry, but we're going to, we're going to skip that. But also, um, raising canes, if you're listening, I would love to have you sponsor the 10 pin life podcast because your chicken fingers are the best moving on. Uh, I have some spot, some space on my jerseys. <laughs> just right there. <laughs> if, um, if, if you ever want a, uh, star athlete, so. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that my dream. They literally are building one like on the same side as our apartment. Oh, I'm, so it's literally within walking distance. I'm sorry about your true. cholesterol in advance. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So Baton Rouge, um, yeah, 24 of the best bowlers uh, that year. Nick Pate won it. Okay, so I bowled oh, against. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I bowled against Ryan Ashby in match play and. I forgot who else it was. Oh, it was just one. So I actually, so in in qualifying, I was like second to last. Mm-hmm. So not really, not really good performance. I mean that that was like the highest level that I've ever bowled. Yeah. So you could tell where my nerves are, everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. <laughs> so I couldn't really keep it in control. My parents were there, so that that really helped. Yeah. But you can hear them scream when I Brooklyn one time. <laughs> That That's was awesome. the funniest thing. All these years. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? This is stop. And it's live stream. So yeah. if you actually go back in um, 2017 Intercollegiate Singles Championship and you look at the first match, it's me. So you can watch my horrible 150, 150, 190. Um, yeah. So. I'm going to, I will, uh, for those that are watching, I will definitely put the link in the description if they want to go watch that. <laughs> if they want to, if, if they want to see what not to do, go for it. 
the pattern that year was 52 feet. Oh. Uh huh. Guess where everyone played? Oh. The right side. Like up the like like right of ten. Oh yeah. Really? Makes sense. No. No. Because they built that. They built that center for the um, women's championship that year. Yep. Yep. So. They built it for that, and obviously we bowled it on the fresh. So we burnt all the track into it on a 52-foot pattern. It's <laughs> tough. So, yeah, I took that as a learning experience. You know, I lost my match right away. It's usually – so everyone gets into the bracket, yeah. and then it's your way from there. It does Seeding doesn't matter unless, you know, if you get top eight, then you get a bye. Mm. That's, that's kind of what you're going for. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, after that tournament, you know, I was pretty down because – as the competitive person inside of me, I wanted to do well mm-hmm. because of how, what all the preparation, everything you go into, all the emotions, and then to not have it go the way you want to was pretty upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, I, I didn't want to give up because I knew that I can get to that level again and even above. So I, I went to uh, senior year now. Um, senior, same thing happened. I got sportsmanship award. I got all conference. So it was all good. Mm-hmm. Still bowling those side tournaments, you know, whatever I could mm-hmm. kind of splitting that between, um, that and seeing my, my now wife. So splitting between, so it was either bowling or I would be at, uh, Decor, Iowa and mm. Luther college. So yeah, I didn't really have much free time for me. Yeah. I should say. <laughs> But it was a good time. I always love going down and seeing her, all her friends, and you know, going to tournaments and seeing my friends. So, uh, yeah, senior year went through, and then sectionals came around, and <clears throat> I think it was the first game I shot two twenty with six Brooklyns. <laughs> okay, and. I think Michael Martell came up to me and he goes, how you doing? How you doing? How you bowling, bro? Because I bowled with him the year prior. I bowled with him and Ryan Winters. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And Martell, I still talk to you today. You're Mona Staffers together. Mm-hmm. And he goes, how you doing? I go, you probably, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I, I literally had five Brooklyn's for a 220. And he looked at me with like the, the most disgusting face on his look. Because he probably, she didn't really bowl the well the first game. Yeah. We bowled at Smyrna. I should, I should actually back up because we drove down from Minnesota because we couldn't get into Fairview Heights. Mm. So I switched venues and we couldn't get in. So we got into Smyrna. So me and two other of my teammates drove the 14 hours down to Tennessee. That was actually really fun. I really enjoyed not really necessarily to drive because we drove all night, mm-hmm. but driving down to another center, another state, a lot, of, you know, through a bunch of states and on that center is pretty cool. The Smyrna Bowling Center. That was, okay. that was a really cool place. Um, yeah, first game in, first game was okay. Then I shoot, you know, I'm kind of hovering above like plus twenty, plus forty, mm-hmm. and I think it was. I think I was seventy over. I know. Sorry, my cat's like a <laughs> jump up. Um, I think I was like seventy over after five. Then I shoot buck seventy. Or buck 80. And I'm like, okay, I got to shoot a big game. Or maybe like a 220, 210 will probably get me in. Mm-hmm. So I go, I think I'm on like 220 pace. And cut that year was like 74 over, which was Kenny Ryan. Okay. So I, I'm i going, I well, maybe I was going to shoot 230, 240. I was going to shoot a big game. So I had a chance to, to get in. I think I had, I struck in the 6th, 7th, 8th. And if I would have, if I would have punched out, again, I would have had a big game. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I got it. We're up in the ninth, And again, live streams on me. So you can watch, you can go and watch this again. <laughs> I have the link and in the description. <laughs> I'm throwing a, I'm throwing a 2013 Marvel Pro. It was like that and IQ were like my, my two best balls. At college, those are my two go-to balls. And go up in the ninth frame. I thought I threw it really good because I was throwing it really good that game. I, I had the nuts. Mm-hmm. And I uh, 
I think I just gassed it a little bit because I was excited and I left the, the three quarters of the bucket like on the front. Yeah. Yep. And then I chopped it. That's actually like buck 90. So I, I finished with like 47 over or something like okay. that. It was like yeah. 15. Mm-hmm. But yes, Kenny, you're, you're welcome for me not <laughs> knocking you out. And yeah, for you to win the singles championship. I was going to so say, yeah, you. for those that don't know, he then goes on to actually win the, the national event that year when him and wasn't it him versus um, Dan Hansen that year? I think yeah. in the finals, which is, I was actually um, one of, the, in my opinion, one of the best final matches that that's happened in a while. Cause they had uh, Zayner was in that final and mm-hmm. um, uh, Darren Tang too. Yep. Like, four guys that are really really freaking good um and yeah it was so the, yeah the, kenny owes you a drink every time that you bowl with him as far as i'm concerned it's official it's on the podcast that makes it internet mm-hmm. official <laughs> he doesn't know who i am but <laughs> i'll send it to him instagram messages man they're free oh uh, yeah we live <laughs> in the digital world so yeah after after college you know i i really had a boost of confidence so i'm like you know what i kind of want to just bowl a lot of things. I want to bowl a lot of amateur events. I want to bowl every CBA. Mm-hmm. It didn't really take till um, two years ago, till 2019, where I decided to do full time CBA stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to learn from those guys, from Chad Nelson, Dave Ullman, Dan Bach, and, and Brady Stearns. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to to be like those guys because mm-hmm. I always see who is the best people, who are the best players out there, um, and be like them. Mm-hmm. And if anybody knows Chad enough, there he's one of the nicest guy. He'll be leading qualifying by hundred pins, mm-hmm. and he'll still help you out. Oh yeah, even if you're 150 under. And and if he's way out of it, he will also still help you. Mm-hmm. He's probably gonna be a little bit more curt in the way that he says things a little bit, but not like not that bad because you like he just gets frustrated with himself a little bit. But yeah, yeah. Chad Nelson is he he is a legend in his own right. Um, and absolutely, yeah, he is one of the most kind guys that I've ever bowled with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I really wanted to take what I was what I was doing to what he is doing. Mm-hmm. So it really it didn't take till um, till the 2019-2020 season um, for me to, to get there's like a it's like an all conference mm-hmm. award and mm-hmm. it's called All Star. Mm-hmm. So it's like how many points you get for the year and, you know, what your places are and whatever. And then the money list and your high average award. Mm-hmm. So 2019, 2020 season, uh, I got the first team all-star. Dan Bach and I were tied actually. So they usually take the first five. So they took five and six. So we both got first team. Mm-hmm. Um, 2020. So I've, I, I was at a corporate job. I was a staff, I was a staffing um provider so i just staffed for a bunch of production manufacturing jobs mm-hmm. so i did that from 2019 till like january 2020 and that was like two months before the shutdown yep and i got out of the job i worked i started working at sunray because uh, the tournament director for the cbas jason hansen wanted to um, see if i wanted to work in the pro shop mm-hmm. and that's that's all i've always known that i wanted to be in the bowling industry mm-hmm. and I just didn't really know how or what to get into it because I've talked with Matt McNeil countless of times. He's on my tournament team, so we bowl a lot of uh, the team challenges and state and cities tournaments mm-hmm. a bunch. So um, we talked a bunch, and he said everything starts in a pro shop. Yeah. So if, if you're out there wondering how, how do I get my bowling career started, one is bowling a lot of tournaments. you got to be a competitive bowler. Mm-hmm. But also, it's really just being in a pro shop because the, these are the people that are selling the product directly to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So that is where you'll you'll see like Brunswick and Motive and Storm come to you, all these reps and saying, "Hey, do you want to be a product representative for us? Do you want to be on staff with us?" Mm-hmm. So that is that's really the honest truth of how you get on staff mm-hmm. if that's what you really want to. It's always in a pro shop. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see these, some of these guys that are like, you know, in their sixties or, you know, older and they're like, they can barely bolt, but they're on storm. Hmm. Yeah. But they, 
they've got the brains. They've got the brains to back it up. Like even exactly. Um, they. I. I can't think of the his name. I always forget his last name. But the guy that runs the pro shop at Boulevard in Madison has been doing it forever. And it, you know, like I said, he doesn't really have the body to keep it up anymore. And you know, I bowled the hitter with him. We crossed with them a couple weeks ago. And um, yeah, he he shot like a hundred and ten the first game. It just wasn't great. But I tell you what. If I wanted, if I needed to know what what the right ball to throw was, he was going to be the right person to ask. Like he, there's no getting like if you need a product recommendation in a product driven industry, those old guys know so much. It's unbelievable. So yeah, sometimes it is confusing because we think it's performance based, but it's it's influence based, and, and we it, the understanding that difference is mm-hmm. huge for sure. Especially these days. I mean, yeah. the storm rep straight up told me we're not even hiring player contracts right now really so there's so little right now because we just want to um it's not like they don't want to yeah they want to staff as many people as they can because they want to get players out there maybe maybe it's just in the area that's possible but yeah Yeah. um but they're really just looking for pro shop people Mm -hmm. they just want to fill the state fill the shops with their product so Mm -hmm. of course they're going to push it as hard as they can um the way to do that is just through the shop. Yeah. Well, and I think too, they're probably gleaning insight onto what the move was when um, Ebonite International was still in Hopkinsville when they bought so many players. That mm-hmm. was three years ago, it was 2018 ish. They, um, between them and Motive, they just went out and got as many players as they could right around this time. It was January of 20, I believe 2018. I'll have to double check that. But um, probably paid a ton of money to go get a lot of big names to throw their equipment. Um, and I don't, I, I, it, to me, it didn't work. It, to me, it was like, yes, just because, you know, Ronnie Russell's throwing Ebonite balls now, it's like, yeah, it's important. Yes, you know, it's nice to have that. Um, you know, that was when AJ Johnson flipped from, uh, star or Roto, whatever to mm-hmm. Ebonites. And it was like, there was so many, like that January, there was a ton of attention generated on all these different brands that, that weren't storm. Uh, cause it seemed like they pretty much tried to buy everybody from SPI, um, mm-hmm. which I, I respect. Um, but it didn't, it, to me, it didn't work. So I, I, I think that what they're doing is probably, maybe even partially reactive, but like intentionally reactive to what that move was because it's like, well, well that didn't work. So why would we waste our time in a market where SPI is extremely backordered? I don't know if they're caught up yet, but they were backordered for more than a year on pretty much everything. It's like, we're already selling our stuff. Let's just get it. Just keep it up on the walls. (laughs) Like we don't have to, we don't have to pay people to throw our stuff. So yeah, I, I would be curious. You'll have to ask him about that if uh, if he'll share any insight or if he knows any. But I'd be curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from a pro shop aspect, everything's on back order. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not just one brand. It's it's, it's like every, everybody. Yeah, because yeah. like balls, balls have been fine. That's the weird thing. Balls have been just fine, <clears throat> but it's like two ball bags. Yeah, uh, three ball bags every once in a while. Shoes are impossible. <laughs> They're all on the all boat. <laughs> like um, KR Strike Force, yep. those are the most popular shoes right now, and I can't get them anywhere. So I'm like, oh, I want that size of ten, ten and a half. Um, well, we're gonna have to wait till next year. And they're like, you serious? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at my website right now. It literally says January thirtieth, twenty twenty two. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. So. Yeah. I guess because uh, we could pro- we'll probably end up talking about stuff all day because I think you and I are I I love equipment I think it's super fun you work in it but um and I and I think that there's something to be said about about all of that but I I'm curious because of kind of where we started the conversation in, or actually but maybe it was before I started recording but um like I said, the idea behind this whole thing is 10 pin life. What does it actually mean to, to live a life that is kind of directed by bowling, directed by this sport that used to be the most popular sport in America and has just faded. We'll, we'll call it rapidly, but you know, it's something that went from very notable. Fun fact, 
Um, uh, did you know that Earl Anthony earned more money in the, the decade of the 1970s than Hank Aaron did? Who went, yeah, Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record in the 1970s. And then uh, Earl Anthony, a left-handed bowler, uh, actually out-earned Hank Aaron in the 1970s. I can I can kind of see that yeah. because if you look at the salaries between yeah. both, but I mean, yeah. I guess we're looking at more earnings. Yeah. Because um, for baseball, it is it is primarily salary, but bowling, yeah. you do get it. I mean, I don't know if they did a salary back then. I don't think I th- they did because there wasn't really a differentiate of companies. Yeah. Enough. He probably had some contracts with like ABC and stuff just for like appearances and all that because it was right. on TV every week. But yeah, that's just one of the craziest facts. But now, but now... You know, Mike Trout's getting you know, the comparative from Hank Aaron is Mike Trout, and Mike Trout's making forty million dollars a year. Kyle Troop just made a half a million as the best bowler um, in in the in the world, really. Uh, so, it, it, bowling has faded rapidly. So, so basically, what I'm saying is to to create a career in this sport um, has not. It's become increasingly difficult. Um, and like you said, you've always wanted to be in it. You've always wanted bowling to be kind of that, that, that big part of your life. Um, but now that you're in it, what does it actually take? Like, how do you describe what you do to the everyman um, when they ask? And like, what, what is, what are some of the things that maybe even surprised you once you actually fully transitioned into it, um, and now that you know we're kind of coming out of the pandemic, too, uh, what are some of the things that are kind of catching you off guard? Like, just what is it like to live a ten-pin life in your eyes? Sure. I mean, when I wanted to be in the bowling industry, I knew that I wanted, like I said before, I wanted to be in it, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know what that meant because when you take when you take a step back and you're you're thinking about everything. You're, you're in a bowling center probably six to seven days out of the week because mm-hmm. you're bowling side tournaments, you're bowling, uh, you're bowling tournaments, you're bowling league. So you jump from one center, you bowl in two centers, you know, in one day. So I go from Sunray to Texas Talk on Mondays, then Concord on Tuesdays, and then I bowl at Sunray in, in the morning on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're talking 10-pin life, it literally is your life. You're in a bowling center. So where's the last place you want to go when you're not doing anything, mm-hmm. but you end up there somehow. Mm-hmm. So from a consumer, you know, from a, from a, you know, pro shop side, I, I knew that I wanted to be a ball driller. I wanted to drill my own stuff is what I really wanted to do, but I didn't know if I wanted to be, um, be a pro shop owner or manager or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't really know what that looked like. I didn't know anything about fitting. I didn't know anything about, um, the perfect drill pattern for anybody. And I mean, there really is, there is, but there isn't. Yeah. Because for most people, they don't really know what, what's even look for in the ball reaction. Mm-hmm. So when they don't even know what the fit is, how can they know what the ball is doing down the lane? Yep. Um, or how it's even supposed to fit. So, I mean, if you take it back, back to the early ages of the balls when they were just black, all black balls didn't really do anything. 16 pounds were the, were the thing to use because you're really just trying to throw it straight mm-hmm. and try to hit the hop, hit the pocket. So you need as much weight as you can to carry all the pins. Now everything's transitioned to weight blocks and cores and, um, and weight. Now everyone's throwing 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. So everybody that was throwing 16 pounds back in the day, now they don't hook as much. They actually just hook, you know, earlier and a little bit slower down lane. So now they're, they're everyone's going to 15 because they want a little bit more hook. Mm-hmm. Throw a little slower, get a little bit more rotation, hook a little bit more. So, explaining that to people has been a real challenge because when you're when you're bowling a lot of tournaments and you're in, you're, you're talking with these guys and they kind of know you kind of get these terms of faster and slower and bigger and cleaner and quicker and you're like, what do those even mean? Mm-hmm. When um, when someone says, well, what does that ball do from that ball? And then you're just trying to explain it. And they're like, well, I like the colors of this one. So so at that point, you're kind of, it's not like you're boiling inside, but you're just like, why can't you just understand what I'm trying to tell you? Mm-hmm. So then you try to you try to dumb it down and you're like, okay, so if you're thinking of like, if you're thinking of like golf, like similarities between, I, get, I use a lot of similarities between golf and bowling because mm-hmm. they really are similar. Yeah. 
you can even go down to the weather conditions. Weather conditions, you know, you have the wind, you have the rain, you have sometimes snow. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it has happened. I have golfed in the snow before <laughs> for high school. Dude, dude, that's just that's just living in the Midwest, man. That's like if you if you if you haven't had the experience of trying to find your ball in a hailstorm, you haven't you haven't golfed in the Midwest. <laughs> Not at all. So I mean, you could take those and say like, well, you have surface, you have um, the actually the weather because mm-hmm. the cold or hot um, can't affect it. You know, if it's you know the pairs in front of the doors, you can make a hook more, you can make a hook less. You have the people that are spraying the oil all over the place. Mm-hmm. So that's the immediate change in the lanes. So when people say that, oh, you only have 60 feet from the foul line to the pins, it's so much more than that. Oh yeah. So many variables Mm -hmm. and you don't even know what's out there. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're trying to hit all the pins down at the end of it, you, you, it's a really a crapshoot every single time. Mm -hmm. You really don't. I mean, you have a general plan when you go into it and when you go into like a tournament, but sometimes it's just something that you won't ever expect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm curious, um, of your customers, this is just like a gut feeling thing. Mm -hmm. How many would you say have a reasonable knowledge of the sport from a competitive perspective? Like there's really not too much, like 5%, something like that. Probably. I mean, we're talking less than less than 10 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly just league bowlers or mainly league bowlers that just bowl at, at Sunray. Yeah. So they only ball, they only know that place. Mm-hmm. So you can have a guy that averages 240, 50 every single year, get just a bunch of honor counts, and then they go to another place and they shoot buck 80s because mm-hmm. they don't know anything else but that center. Right. And even if they bowl like handicap tournaments or even like CBAs, you'll see them go to these different centers and on different sports shots, and then they'll they'll go 200 under. Mm-hmm. They'll average buck 70, buck 60. Mm-hmm. So it's really there's not really that many people that actually know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, they do when they know what ball that they want. That's, that's where I come in. I could help them out and say like, well, you have this motion, you have this motion. You kind of need something in between, or you might need something a little bit stronger, a little bit weaker, mm-hmm. something that differentiates what you have because what you have is just benchmark balls. Mm-hmm. This is something that you just know every single time what you can go to when you're you're kind of feeling trapped and you just need a ball to go to, you always just go to your benchmark ball or mm-hmm. whatever ball that you trust the most. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we need to get some different motions. Yeah. So then I guess for me, or what I'm curious about then is when do you feel you learn, like when do you feel like you made that flip from not knowing to knowing? Was it in that junior year time frame when you were bowling? Did somebody... Did you go out and acquire that information and just like learning online and stuff like that? Or like, how did you go from an uninformed bowler to being an informed bowler? Do you remember that process? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't remember it specifically when it like started clicking, but yeah. it's more of just like kind of slowly gradually. Um, when you're bowling college, it's just kind of like a two step, pro- like a three step process. You start, the, you start on the track, then you start on 20 and you go like, on 20 and then you're lofting in the gutter cap yeah game three yeah. we're pretty close to it so it's like okay this is what i need to do and then when you go to singles tournaments you're not moving as that you're not moving that fast you're like okay well i'm just doing this i need to do something different because i only threw pretty much one or two balls every single time yeah and i'm i'm just talking to the guys i'm like i don't really know what i'm doing wrong here because i feel like i'm throwing the ball really well but i'm not getting the ball the correct ball reaction so I, I would say probably 2019 mm-hmm. probably is when it started clicking. Maybe yeah. the end of 2018 when I started bowling a lot of CBAs. Yeah. So, but it's like, it, like was, would you say that it was more your experience in like seeing the ball go down the lane and drilling different stuff and like trying different things? Or sure. was it more wisdom that was provided through the connections and resources that you developed in bowling. But like, you know, like you said, kind of talking about with Chad, you know, if, if, if you're just like, Chad, I'm, I'm so lost right now. And all you're doing is striking. What do I do? Right? Like there's, there's those conversations happen very naturally. Um, they, Mm -hmm. they, I think you're a person also 
you know, like you said, you kind of you you kind of skirted over it. You know, you won a sportsmanship award in college. Um, you know, you're like you're one of the nicest guys that bowls anything that I've ever bowled, which is you know it was. It, I if I go on to that conversation, we're going to be here for another hour, so we're going to save it for <laughs> another day. But um, would would you say that it was more? Um, that the experience or wisdom from others that kind of helped push you in a right direction? For me, I mean, there's a lot of different players out there. Yeah. People learn from different things. People, they're, they're practice people, and then they're um, kind of just like experienced people. Yeah, yeah, so like yeah. Practical versus... Yeah, I can't remember what the other yeah, it would yeah, I would be like the yeah, practical learning would be like doing it and then like um a didactic, I think is the That's word that you're looking at. for is the more yeah. book type so, learning or from somebody else, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was always a practical person. I always um I always want to do it from my experience, what I see, my understanding of it, because I never really I mean I had a junior coach, but we really didn't take it to the next level because I wasn't, I mean, it was my second year bowling, so I didn't really know anything. So really it had, it had to take a long time for me to progress to that. Mm -hmm. So it, I think I kind of sped up the process from most people because I was just engulfed in it so much. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching, you know, I'm watching pros. I'm watching, um, what I always refer to is if you go to the 2013, um, men's world championship, slow-mo release video oh yep i just watched that mm -hmm. or the 20 i think it's either 2012 or 2014 bronze Aguero challenge another one those mm -hmm. are my two favorite videos i've ever watched and they're like hour long both yeah. yep and it's just slow release slow release videos so that is when i'm like okay well that's how you're supposed to do that so then i would take videos of me and try to mimic whatever they were doing or trying to like mimic my own style. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at ball reaction side, I would bowl these CBAs and bowl a lot of these other tournaments and kind of see what those guys did, what balls they were using, you know, kind of like glance over and see what layout they were using. And when you're talking about layouts, it, it truly, I mean, if you just go pin up with everything, that's just fine because you don't really know until you learn about cover stocks and how strong they are and what, what the actual RG and diff numbers actually mean mm -hmm. to you as a player because mm -hmm. they're different for everybody else. Mm -hmm. So like low RGs might not be good for this person, but it might be good for this person. You never really know. Yep. So yeah, I was always that person where I wanted to see what I was doing and then translate to whatever they were doing. Gotcha. So I was always experienced. So I can, I didn't really, I, I like to practice, but the best practice that I got was always like in league or in some sort of competition. Mm -hmm. That's where it stuck for yep. me. And then, so taking that, <clears throat> cause your, your transition, cause it, it was uh, accelerated, like you kind of said, but also probably a lot deeper than pretty much most, you know, especially if you look at it, the whole sport wide, you're a one percenter in terms of knowledge, you know, it's just, just statistically, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. So then you have these people come into your pro shop. Um, one of the things that I, and actually I had a really good conversation with a guy um, last week that was it, one of the things we talked about was like, how is it that bowlers start to communicate to non-bowlers what bowling is? Because like you said, it's so much more complicated than 15 pounds of bowling ball, 10 pins and 60 feet. There's, there's, not an unlimited number of variables, but there is a way more than I think anybody gives credit to. How do you start to communicate that? And, um, you know, we kind of, we kind of shot it around, but I was like, that's the thing that's, that is the thing that's holding bowling back from becoming a very popular sport again, from a, from a competitive perspective, because what you, you know, you look at like golf becomes golf is very tangible in understanding how hard it is because you can see, you know, when, when Bryson is putting this way and the holes over here, right? Like it, it's, it's very easy to see that um, mm -hmm. bowling has an invisible playing field. So that's the whole thing. But to me, it's, that is the, one of the biggest barriers between um, a highly um, competitive, but also very um, intriguing and um, popularized competitive environment in the sport of bowling. But you're on the front lines of that. You're the guy that's taking these people 
that can bowl out of their shoes in their own house, and then when they go anywhere else, it's terrible, and they just know what matches up in one place, and they are the typical house bowler, right? Um, what are the things that you talk to them about that seem to stick well to help push, you know, to help that process of learning one step further? Is there anything that you, there's like a go-to, like what's your benchmark statement, <laughs> if I may, that mm-hmm. you kind of go to with some of those folks? Number one question is, well, what's the difference between each ball? Yeah. I go, okay, there's different strengths of cores and covers. So if you boil it back down, I always, I always just point to something. So usually I say, you know, if I want to start someone in bowling, start wanting to throw a hook, hustles or anything that's entry level is going to be your ball. So you point them to a, a tangible thing to be like, okay, well, I can focus on this. And then you open up the conversation to motions because mm-hmm. then you're going to say, okay, well, this one's not as strong as like, let's say a high road. Mm-hmm. That's going to be much stronger. You're going to see much more motion off the spot. Um, and then you kind of like pretty much just tell them what's what it, what what the difference is between them. Mm-hmm. You know, how many boards are you going to start covering? How many boards you might need to move with your feet between the two balls? Because like I have a guy that had an, I have a guy yesterday that had an all out show off, and I was like, if you want something like the same, you just need a pearl because he had trouble um, kind of getting up the hill and it's not getting up there because solids burn up. Yeah. And I was like, you just need a pearl. You just need something a little bit more snappy down lane. And it's like, let's go to a height pearl. It's the mm-hmm. same. It's pretty much the same thing, same line. So you point them to this is what pretty much what you have now from what you have back, you know, like back in the day or yeah. whatever you drilled this one first. Mm-hmm. This is what the updated version is. Yep. So start with that. And then you go, I mean, the main thing that I say is like, if you want to know between solids and pearls or the shiny balls and the matted balls, um, Hockey stick versus uh, banana. Mm-hmm. General. Yep. You, you just simplify it so that they can understand. Because, mm-hmm. like, you can even think of equipment similarities in golf. Yeah. Because there's so many clubs, so many different, you know, you have blades, you have muscle backs, you have cavity backs, and then golf balls. I mean, golf balls are softer, they're harder, they have different materials in them. So it's, it's honestly the same thing, mm-hmm. except you have a club and a ball and then uh, many, many yards between them. Yep. Bowling's a lot simpler. So you can super simplify it being like, okay, this is going to be banana. Solids won't. We'll use their energy up in the front part of the lane. So meaning that they that they just spin, 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 and then stop. Mm-hmm. And then they're much smoother off the back, so you won't see as much snap. Mm-hmm. Now, pearls will always retain their energy for the back part of the lane. So they'll they'll go a lot farther down the lane and then hockey stick off the spot. Or the transition from um, from the back of the, the pattern to the pocket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's you just make it so simple to them, and then they start to ask questions. So really, when you're when you're thinking of um, when you can bridge the conversation to the next level, that's kind of when you want to see that part of it. Mm-hmm. So then they ask questions they want to know more about. I had a guy yesterday that I was drilling his ball. And he just kept asking me questions, kept asking me questions. He's like, I just love to challenge myself with stuff that I don't know about. And I just want to learn. I yeah. was like, well, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And it that's was a 30 minute conversation. Yeah, for sure. And that was, that was how I learned it. It was just that hands on. I'm just, I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to ask as many questions as I can. Like I was that guy, like you and I are uh, similarly competitive. You're much more skilled than I am. So we've got, you've got that going for you. But um, yeah, that was, that was my whole process of just like, I'm just going to go talk to people that seem like they know what they're talking about uh, or that at least throw it well. And then um, what what ended up happening was um, a fun story is I took uh, bronze and silver classes. So I'm actually silver certified, whatever. And okay. the, the first time that I took the test for the silver certification, um, I, I, you know, it's there's there's video analysis, there's book stuff, whatever. And what I did was I tried to do it that way of explaining like what it is that you you can see in this person's game to help fix it, make it better. Um, but then I added on like if you do this, this is kind of your return type thing, right? So if you if I buy a pearl ball, this is what we're actually going to see. But like explaining it more in terms of mechanics, what happens in front of the line. And I failed it because I didn't just regurgitate what was in the book. 
<laughs> um, so then I literally just pulled stuff out of the, the textbook and I, I got like a hundred percent. Um, so it, I don't know if they still do those anymore, but if anyone is interested I in don't. taking that number one, don't because it doesn't justify anything. Um, <clears throat> sorry, USBC, but, uh, cause they don't even honor it anymore. They don't even put it on your bowl.com thing. There's no find a coach anymore. It's no. expensive. I for think nothing. it's really just gold. Gold is the only standard that has been that yeah. has kept. And that in that one I respect. The we're talking like the point zero 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 one percent. There's like ten people out there that are gold certified. Yeah. Like like because uh Richard Shockley coached that one or for you know, he was he was my um teacher for those two classes. But like you look at a guy like Brian O'Keefe, who's one of the few gold guys, like he knows more than 99% of bowlers put together. It's unbelievable the volume of knowledge that he has. But, but yeah, that was, um, that was just interesting. That's when you, in, in the bowling world, when you try to explain things um, to other bowlers, um, I think that we kind of speak the same language. I, when I was coaching high school, I would be like, well, it's, you know, I would just use dumb words. I can't even think of examples because it would just be, what would just come out of my mouth that I've grabbed some three other people in the past 10 years or whatever. And they would be like, well, that that's not English, but I understand what you mean. So I'll do that. And, uh, but then when you try to use that outside of the sports, it's like, there's just such a gap in just language. And I'm, I'm still working on, my theory is on how to close that gap, but um, you'll have to. I don't to... really think there ever is. Yeah. I'm really just going to get those people that are kind of just stubborn of what they have right now. Yeah. And they'll just never get out of it. Yeah. Because and... it's what they've known. Yeah. And I'm, and that's another thing that I'm curious about, and maybe we'll explore this in a in a recurrent episode. I, I wouldn't mind doing this again if you're open to it, but um, the idea of how do how how do we effectively grow the sport because to me um what what i think happened was bowling went from mass um uh, from a very massive population of people uh, because the options were very limited 50 years ago like yeah. when it, recreation sports was bowling like there wasn't you know it, it, there was skiing and obviously all that sort of stuff but bowling was the thing that people did um, that started to wane over time. Bowling took what they had for granted. And then as it, they just didn't know how to stop it, they didn't know how to stop it. And now there's so many options and there's so many, like the way that people consume is so much different that they're trying to apply old tactics to new problems. Yep. So to me, you know, you, what we have to start to do is we have to start to segment the population of bowlers and we have to do it not to an extreme level, but we can't just have recreation and sport. There are so many different types of bowlers. And if we can start to compartmentalize them into the zones that they typically fall into and start to explain the difference between those categories and like let them choose who it is that they want to be from a bowling perspective, um, I think that's a lot of things get better from there because then we can start to um, cater to those audiences more effectively. You know, AMF is getting a lot of flack from bowlers about installing a bunch of 50 foot lanes across the United States for the last couple of years. Well, they're not catering to bowlers. Like that's not the point. Like, yes, it's, you know, it's, it's an, an uncompetitive environment technically from a USBC perspective, but also it's getting people in bowling centers they're bowling because they're recreational bowlers. Like that's the market that they fall into. Um, so as much as they get crap about it, it's also an effective way of running a business. Um, you know, so it's maybe, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's about nine 30 here and I know you got to get to work. So, um, if you're cool that. with it, um, I think we should do this again and we can talk about that. How's that sound? I like that. Awesome. My man, anything else? Anything you want to wrap up on? Like, what's what's the what's the thing that's stuck in your head that you just gotta say into a microphone today? Anything? Oh man, I worked so hard yesterday that <laughs> my body felt sick. I just nonstop working, yeah. working, working, and then I drive in a league, and my body is just exhausted. So business so, has been great. Good. Um, I just I, you know I wish people would keep coming in, coming in. Um, it's really good because I keep learning. I mean, there's never a chance to not learn. Mm -hmm. You always learn something new every day. That's what I tell everybody. And I'm always learning something new. Mm -hmm. I love it. I always love the education and, and the, the sought out 
never enough knowledge. Yeah. You can always learn. You can always reach out, find something that there's so many people out there, Mm -hmm. so many people that you can meet and talk to and get knowledge from. I mean, there's so many people you just don't know. There's a lot of people in the world and I really wish I could knew all of them because then I can get as much knowledge as I can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, my man. Uh, Thanks so much for hanging out. I really appreciate it. Like I said, we're going to do this again. Uh, We'll, we'll talk about something besides you next time too. I promise. And I was kind of weird for you, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Thank y'all for tuning in. This has been 10 pin life podcast. Number four with wild bill himself uh, as noted by Nick Heilman officially on the podcast and Mm -hmm. uh, out there. It's out there. It's a thing. So (laughs) awesome. Thanks guys for tuning in. Catch you on the next one. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. If you really like this episode, please be sure to hit that like button. Leave a five-star rating. If you're on a podcast platform, hit that subscribe button if you're on YouTube. But let me know kind of what your thoughts were and who you'd like to see on the next 10-Pin Life podcast. we got some cool stuff coming up with some other pros. But um, other conversations like this, you know, if you have anybody in mind that you think would like to share their story or has a story that's worth sharing even, uh, let me know in the comments or shoot me a direct message as well. But Uh, We'll wrap this one up. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and checking out this conversation with me and Will Matafee. Thank you so much to Will uh, for joining me as well because I know it was something that you were a little bit hesitant of, and I respect that, but you're you're a great guy, and thank you so much for joining me. But that's going to be it, y'all. Thanks so much for checking it out. We'll see you next time, and don't forget, your best life is a 10-pin life. See ya.